I want to read you a list. A list. Women's retreat in the spring, canceled. Anniversary celebration for the church in April, canceled. Summer kids day camp, canceled. Student ministry summer mission trip, plans, canceled. Church mission trip to Africa in the fall, canceled. Fall men's retreat, postponed. Equipping initiative to teach us more Bible and theology, on hold. Community group leader training sessions, on hold. Gathering together on Sundays for a time, on hold. FaceTime with one another, on hold. Those are the plans that were dashed because of COVID. Personal plans, I'll share with you some of my personal plans because I'm a planner during this season that we've been in that were dashed. Kids establishing, coming to a new place and establishing new relationships at school. They got two and a half months to do that. Kids ballet, kids soccer not happening. The longest Little League baseball season ever happened. No date lunches with my wife. I'm pretty frustrated about that. Thank you, no school. Less opportunities to have people as a goal to come over to our house and have dinner on a weekly basis. Canceled. Weekend getaway with my bride. Canceled. Having to go spend a week in advance getting my curbside delivery from HEB. Not canceled. So I want you to think about your plans during COVID. And I want you to think about all the plans that got wadded up and thrown away because of the season that we've been living in. Let me ask you a few questions as you think about the season that we've been in. What plans did you have? How did COVID affect your plans? Vacation, school, work, checkbook. Maybe a spiritual question to ask yourself. How did you respond when God sovereignly interrupted your plans? Do you see your plans oftentimes as fixed? What might that tell us about our hearts? What might our response to dashed plans tell us about where our hearts are at? In our passage today, James is talking about planning. He's talking about planning, planning with either God in view or planning independently from God. Turn with me to James chapter 4, and we'll be in verses 13 through 17. Last week, Chris did a great job unpacking the difference between friendship with God and friendship with the world. And at the tail end of that passage, James effectively said this, stop playing God with other people's lives. Today, he's going to turn that and transition into saying this. Stop playing God with your own life. Stop playing God with your own life. So today, we'll look at James 4, verse 13 through 17. It's a page, I think, 1013 in the Bible on your chair there. We'll read God's word this morning and then apply it to our lives. Let me read it. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Five verses, three incredible points, and applicable points for our life. Look along with me here. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. Maybe there's never a better time in the history of man in which that phrase is important. We live and do this or that. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whatever, 
So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I want to show you three truths this morning in these five verses around the subject of planning that are incredibly applicable to your life and to my life. First, God's plan. Don't plan your life independently from God. That's James's first message out of the gate. Don't plan your life independently from God. Look back at verse 13 there. It says, come now. So he's saying, pay attention. You who say, so it looks like people are saying this or acting this out in their lives in the first century in the churches that James is writing to. He says, today or tomorrow we, what's the next word? We will, underline that word. We will do this. We will do that. Here's the context. In first century, there was business travel. People would go from one place to another, and they would spend time there making a, trying to make a profit. It's kind of like the guy that goes to West Texas, and he has the West Texas um, uh, area in which he's at. He leaves, he comes home. He's trying to make a profit. So business in the first century included people leaving and coming and going to make a prophet. So that's the context we're in. You see this all the way through the New Testament. You see in Acts chapter 16, for example, Lydia. Remember Lydia? She was the seller of purple goods. She was from Asia and she was in Philippi at the time when she was selling purple goods. You see it with Priscilla and Aquila and as they traveled, you see it with Paul. He was a tent maker. And so there was travel, business travel in the first century. And so James is pressing in to those business travelers a little bit. That's the background. And look at what they thought they would do. Their fixed plans, their fixed outcomes. Look at verse 13, the tail end of verse 13. It said, let us go to such and such town. Um, excuse me. We will go to such and such town. That's time and place. We will spend a year there. That's duration that in their minds was fixed and we will trade and we will make a profit. They thought that their plans were fixed. That's the issue that James points out. Let me ask you a question. Is planning wrong? When you go to the Bible, does the Bible have anything to say about planning? Planning is good and planning is wise. Remember the Proverbs? There's a lot of Proverbs about planning ahead. Planning ahead is a good and wise thing. Do you remember the ant? From Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Consider the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. What does an ant do? An ant gathers and stores and works hard. And so the writer of Proverbs is saying, be like an ant. Don't be a sluggard who's lazy. So the Bible has no place for not planning. Some of you say, amen. I'm glad because I'm a planner. So planning in the Bible is wise and it is good. But that's not the problem in this text that James is identifying. He's saying, listen, the problem isn't your plans. The problem is, is that you think you have fixed outcomes to plans that have not happened. You are acting independently from me in your plans. That's the issue. That's the heart issue that James is dealing with. When you think about God and you think about yourself, the one thing definitively that COVID has taught me is that I am very dependent. There is an invisible virus that is so small and it shut down the world. I am not independent. I am dependent upon God. When we think in th theological circles, we think about the independence of God. That means that God is self-existent, that he doesn't need you and me to exist and thrive and be. You and I need God. We are dependent upon God for our very breath. We are dependent upon God for our lives. And the people in his, his day, in James's day, 
We're saying, we will do this. It is a fixed outcome. We will decide what we do, and we can take that to the bank, and we will make decisions in our lives based on the plans that haven't happened but will happen. This is the issue. God is independent. He is an independent creator. We are dependent upon him. Have you ever had your plans dashed? You ever had your plans dashed? How did you respond? A number of years ago, I was... I was a youth pastor for like 10 years, and I remember every summer we would take about 80 students in the big coach buses to Colorado. It was a great trip. We had a great amount of fun, a lot of fun in June when it's really hot here and it's cool in Colorado, and you can go and you can uh, climb a 14er and you can go whitewater rafting. So we took these high school kids, and I remember my secretary told me before the trip, she's like, listen, um, this one lady called and she needed, she's making plans for summer vacation. And you guys, you get back on the 8th of June, and she's scheduling travel around the time you get back. And so she's concerned. That she just wants to make sure that, that, that y'all are going to be back. I said, okay. And she talked to her and talked to her about the plans and when we were going to be back. Listen, when you go on a 24-hour bus ride with 80 kids, two buses, your best laid plans can be dashed. I'm not sure we ever made it back in the six or seven years that we did the trip. We ever made it back exactly on time. So we leave Colorado, northern Colorado, and we're coming home, and the bus, one of the buses breaks down. We spent six hours on the side of the road. We get in, not at 4 p.m., but midnight, and this mom is not, not too happy. And about a week later... I found out about a meeting that I was invited to with the lead pastor and this mom. And we began to talk, and I felt bad because we didn't get in in time. And they had scheduled, but they had scheduled their trip by air at 6 p.m. They had a 6 p.m. flight out of IAH, and we had told them, We're, our goal is to be back in Houston by 4. And this lady was irate because we promised her that we would be back at 4 p.m., apparently. And I felt bad for her because I had been there before. Have you ever been there? When you have fixed plans that you want to happen so bad and it doesn't go that way and you try to make it work and it's everybody else's fault? <laughs> have you ever been there? I felt bad for the lady and I remember saying, I'm sorry we didn't make it, but the lead pastor chimes in and he comes to this text. <laughs> and he says... We can't promise you what we can't deliver. These are our best laden plans, but we, we, we can't make a promise to you that we can't cash. Listen, we've all been there before. Have you declared independence on God with your plans? I've done it. I assume you've done it. I'll confess to you right now, I'm a checklist person. Anybody, any checklist people in here? Mm-hmm, right back here. Checklist. I've got to have a checklist for my day. This afternoon, usually Sunday afternoon or Monday morning, I make a checklist. Things that I'm going to do through the week, and the best part about it, I just get to, with my pen, I get to mark through it when it's done. It's August right now. I'm a little nervous because I don't have all my plans made for the fall or the spring. Some of you are like that. This is a really hard thing for planners to walk through. I want you to think broadly, though, even if you are not a checklist guy. I want you to think about the plans that you have for your own vocation. 
want you to think about the plans that you've, you've had in your own family and how God sometimes disrupts those things and life disrupts those things. Maybe you planned your family. Maybe you planned for 2.3 kids and God didn't have that in the cards for you or you had problems with infertility or maybe it was the opposite. Maybe you planned for 2.3 kids and you, oops, got four. God has different plans for our lives oftentimes. Maybe you wanted that promotion at work. You wanted to have this particular thing happen and you were banking on that to happen and it didn't and God sent you somewhere else. See, God interrupts our plans. We can't plan our lives independently from God. We have to be dependent. And here's what happens in life. There are these idols that we have in life. And when I say idols, I don't mean the, the wooden things that the Bible speaks about in the Old Testament. I mean the idols of the heart. There are idols of the heart that we often struggle with. Let me give you some big ones. Power. My life is not right unless I have this power or this job description or this role. I need power. Approval. Unless this person um, respects me, um, my life is not right yet. Approval. So power, approval, comfort. Unless I have this pleasure or unless I have these things, my life is not right. All is not well in the world. And you know the last big one, and there's a lot under this, by the way. The last big one is control. My plans have to be seen through. My kids have to live and operate this way. And when plans are dashed, the idol of control comes up, doesn't it? You ever been there? Big idols in our life. How does that affect you with your plan? So listen, we can't plan independently from God. But look at the text. There's something else. We also can't plan life apart from the knowledge and the sovereignty of God. This is verse 14 and 15. Look back at it. Verse 14 says this. Yet you do not... What's the next word? No. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. James is saying, you make all these plans, these fixed plans and these fixed outcomes, but you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Here's what he's saying in verse 14 and 15, if I could summarize it. You don't know what you think you know. If you did, you wouldn't say, I'm going to go here, I'm going to do this, I'm going to make this much profit, I'm going to do this with it. That's what James is saying. We are not only dependent, we are finite. See, God is infinite, and we are finite. He is independent, he is infinite. We are dependent, and we are finite. And this is what James is saying. This is what God is saying to these folks. You don't know tomorrow. It's not bad to plan for tomorrow, but don't think those plans are for sure going to happen. Don't take that to the bank. You remember the passage in Luke chapter 12 where Jesus is talking to the rich fool? The rich fool's brother comes and says, hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. And Jesus says, I'm not the arbitrator between this, but, but he tells a parable. And in Luke chapter 12, let me go there. In Luke chapter 12, the man says to himself in the parable, he says to himself, I need bigger barns because I have plenty. All this wealth and all these resources that God has given me, um, I have all these things. So here's what he says in chapter 12, verse 14. I will do this. That's a problem. I will do this. 
I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will, again, store all the grain and all my goods. Is it wrong to plan? Is it wrong to store up goods? Is it wrong to be good stewards of your money and have a 401k? No. But when you definitively have fixed plans, here's what he says. I will say to my soul, this gets weird, if you say to your soul and you answer, it's a little challenging, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat and drink and be merry. Here's what God says to that. Jesus is saying this, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Implication is maybe brother's. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Is the issue bigger barns in that text? The issue is not bigger barns. The issue is the way in which he was planning for the future that he didn't know. And guess what? That was his day to go. That was his day to die. He didn't know what was coming tomorrow, but he planned toward it. The issue is not planning. The issue is our hearts saying, heart attitudes saying that I will do this. This is what he gets at in this passage. You don't have knowledge about tomorrow. There's an old poem uh, that pastors use in this text. And the poem goes like this. It's called Time's Pace. And it's about the speed of time in our lives. And it goes like this. When I was a child, I laughed and wept. And time crept. You know when you're in the car and your kid goes, when are we going to get there? Today is going so slow. You can't wait until you're a teenager when you're a child. Or as you get older, you can't wait until that time. And then the second verse of the poem goes like this. When I was a youth, I dreamed and talked, and time walked. So time's not creeping anymore, time's walking. Now you may have a car. Now you have some more things to do. Maybe you have a phone. But you're wanting to go to college. You're wanting to get out of the house. Third verse of the poem goes like this. When I became a man, time ran. Experience that? You get out of college, now you got a job. you got responsibility. Then you have a spouse, more responsibility. Then you've got kids, and responsibility multiplies. Time runs. Many of you are in that season right now where time is just running. You're running from one thing to the next. There's family, there's work, there's life. Fourth stanza, or fourth verse of the poem goes like this. But the older I got, time flew. See, now you're looking back on the time that you've had in the past. Nobody's using the trampoline in the backyard. Your kids are out of the house, but time is still flying. And the last verse says this, Soon I shall find, in passing on, time is gone. And this is where James goes in chapter 4. Not only do we not have knowledge about tomorrow, he then says, what is life? Do you see it there? What is life? It is a vapor. It's a mist that's here and it's gone. You know in the two weeks of winter that we have when you put your jacket on and you go outside and you breathe and you see the vapor and then it's gone. That's how fast life is. You see, there's knowledge that you don't have about tomorrow. But tomorrow's going to go fast. Life is going to go fast. And you know what John James's conclusion is in verse 15? Because of these truths, because God is independent, because God is all-knowing, because God is sovereign, 
he comes to this conclusion and you see the contrast. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, Instead you ought to say, look back at verse 13, you say, If the Lord wills, what did they say before? I will. I will. So if the Lord wills. See, the cliche, if the Lord wills, is not the issue, is it? We can use that cliche like we wear cross necklaces. That's not the issue. It's the attitude and the trajectory and the perspective on life that says, here are my plans, Lord, but do with them what you will. That's a hard place to get to. I hold them with open hands and open arms. And those are painful things. It's not just COVID. It's life. When life doesn't go your way, when people leave your life unexpectedly, this is heavy stuff. For your soul to say, it is well. When life is hard. So if the Lord wills. You know, the the phrase carpe diem is often overused and I almost hesitated to use it. Seize the day. But the Bible talks about seizing the day. I think it talks about it here, but it also talks about it and God's saying to number your days. Your days are numbered. And the Bible also says about our days that, that by strength we might live 70 to 80 years. So I want you to do this exercise in your brain. Kids, I know you're, you're going back to school whether you're at home or not. So do this exercise for a minute in your brain. Take 80. We'll just say, if the Lord wills, you have 80 years. And subtract 80 minus your age, whatever that is. Do that in your head. And then you take that number and multiply it by 365. Take that number. Those are the number of days, if the Lord wills, you have left. I did that on my phone, and I just stared at that number (laughs) yesterday. I stared at the number. That's not many days. We need to seize the day. We need to make the most of the opportunity that God has for us because life is a mist. Life is a vapor. And so this is James's conclusion based upon who God is and how fast life goes. We ought to say, if the Lord wills. Let's number our days. How you doing numbering your days? So we don't plan independently. We don't plan uh, apart from the knowledge and the sovereignty of God. One more. Verse 15 through 17, or really 16 and 17. We don't plan our life without regard for the will of God. I know the will of God in your life. I know the will of God in your life. I don't have, I don't have a ball. I'm not going to read your hand to know that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, tells you the will that God has for your life. You ready for it? Write it down. You ready? For the will of God in your life is your, believer, sanctification. That's just a churchy word for saying being set apart for God, to live for God, to treasure God, who he is, to live for him, to walk obediently to him. That is the revealed will of God for your life. I know, I know. When I think about the will of life, I often think about, well, what about the next step? What about my job? What about um, a decision where my kids go to school? What church I go to? Those are decisions. One guy said it this way, 90% of God's will is revealed and the other 10% is mystery, but if you're not pursuing the 90%, he ain't going to give you the other 10 And so, yes, there are decisions that we have to make. There are decisions that we take before the Lord and say, help me understand which way I should go or which way I shouldn't. I'm going to give you a little bit of advice, and this is from me. This is not from the Word. I think there are biblical, theological hints 
of this in the Bible, but this is just me talking. Me talking, not the Bible talking, but I will say this. I don't think God cares as much as the, some of the, the, the direction of some of those little decisions. You know why? Because He is sovereign and He is providential and He will open doors and He will shut doors. What I think He most cares about in your life is the way in which you pursue Him. The way in which you pursue Him. And that's what's in view in this text because that's not what they were doing in first century. And that's a struggle that I have and that's a struggle that you have as well. See, the issue is fixed outcomes, fixed plans. And he even calls it out here in verse 16. Look at it. In verse 16, he, he lays it out and he says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So not only are they saying these are their plans, but they're boasting in it and saying, you know what? This is what's going to happen. I'm going to go here. I'm going to make a profit here. I'm going to stay here that long. And these are my plans, and they cannot change. James calls that boasting. James calls that evil. And then we get to verse, the next verse, and he says, the last verse, so whoever knows what is right thing to do, the right thing to do in this text and context is, if the Lord wills, to hold those plans open. That's the right thing to do. You know the right thing to do. Leave it with the Lord. Plan and leave it with the Lord and fail to do it. For him, it is sin. You know, it's interesting, um, this idea of boasting here. It has a really interesting image to it in the Greek. In the Greek, it's this idea of being a peddler, of peddling something. And the specific image in this text is going to a city, interestingly, going to a city and selling fake medicine. So you've got your little kiosk in the village and you're telling everyone that this is going to cure you of this or that or the other when it's fake. I'm not going to make any essential oils jokes here. All right? Actually, essential oils work. I just don't know how. They work. Sorry. I thought that was funny. Anyway. Boasting. Peddling. See, here's what, here's what I think James is getting at. Planning your life in a fixed way. Believing your outcomes are sure is like taking fake meds that won't heal you and won't help you. But if you want to boast in something, anybody feel the need to boast in something? If you want to boast in something, the Bible has some things that you should boast in. Jeremiah, I think we have it in the back, Jeremiah chapter 9 tells you some things that you ought to boast in. Boast in this. Thus says the Lord, let, let not the wise man, James has been talking about the wise and the fool, right? Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And, and, and as we come to the New Testament, if you want some plans to boast in, if you want to boast in some plans like James 4, the opposite in a good way, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14 gives us that. Do we have that text? Galatians six fourteen says this. You want to boast in some plans, boast in this. Far be it from me to boast in anything that's works in context. But boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I 
to the world. If we want to boast in any plans, we boast in the cross, in the plan of salvation that God has been preparing from ages past, from eternity past, that he, His Son would come and live a perfect life and die on a cross. That's God's plan. If you want to know God's plan, it's that Christ would die on a cross for you and for me. And no worth of your own, no merit of your own, that you can have eternal life and forgiveness of sins because of what Christ has done. Let's boast in those plans. If you want to boast in plans, we boast in the gospel, the good news of Christ and what Christ has done. That is a fixed hope. Those are fixed outcomes that we can hope in, that we can boast in. Do you know those plans? Do you know the plans that God has for you in the gospel? And as a believer, do you know the plans that God has for you to live for Him? That's His will for you. So, let's plan our lives living dependently. Let's plan our lives seeking to know God. Let's plan our lives living in God's will. I shared with you some plans that were dashed. But you know, when plans are dashed, God tends to do some different things in your life. And I'm not saying it's been enjoyable, and I don't think you would either. To wear a mask, to go around, to not get to do the things and have the normal rhythm of life that you want to have, that's a loss. There's a lot of losses in that, so I don't want to minimize that. But there also are opportunities that God grants. Let me share in contrast to the list that I shared with you before. There's some opportunities that God could lay before us, even as a church or even in your life. So let me share my list. Opportunities for a church that God would allow us to even gather virtually. That's a gift. That's not a gift that we had a number of years ago. I'm on vacation and I'm driving home. I'm driving home on I-10 and I'm, I'm watching on my phone. I'm trying to drive too. I'm watching on my phone this service last week. That's a gift. That's an opportunity. The opportunity to see new people watching and new people experience this church and these great people in this church that love people well. I love that. That's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to serve our community in need to go to kids' meals and help with kids' meals and help your neighbors who are in need, that's an opportunity that you didn't have. Not to the extent that you have right now. It's an opportunity to discover how important community is in the midst of not having it. See, in the American church, there's so many churches and there's so many opportunities, we get real picky about things. Now we're in a place where we're going, I just want community. I just want brothers and sisters to meet with and talk with. I need that in my life, in my walk with Christ. You do. And this thing has produced a tangible, visceral need for community that has been stripped in many ways from us for a while. To realize that there are virtual opportunities for ministry and outreach that honestly I never even explored, to my shame. To see that, to see opportunities virtually, even for the ministry of the church, to do worship and prayer nights, to come together and go, I am dependent. To confess that I am dependent on God in a way that I never was before. And I'll tell you personally, some of the opportunities and plans that have come our way. The, the opportunity to have more time with family in many ways. The opportunity to slow down. The opportunity to catch up on 13 years of movies, since being a parent on Netflix, to finish Netflix. The long list of house updates that are almost done. 
There's no way I would be anywhere near that list if it weren't for what's going on. And here are some important ones personally in my life, maybe in yours. More time considering my own mortality. More time considering my own mortality, my dependence upon God, and how finite I really am as a human being. And last, for me to see the idols of comfort and the idols of control more clearly in my life and repent of those things and confess those things and try to live differently. God has a way of working even in and through trouble. So let's be a people who open our hands with the plans that we do have and we should pursue. Let's open our hands. If I could sum this text up, I would do it in a phrase. Three words. Punctuate your plans. Punctuate your plans. Plan ahead. Be wise, comma, if the Lord wills. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for opportunity to to open your word. We pray that your spirit would do a work in our hearts if there's work to be done. This has been a hard season and it's brought out things in my heart and likely things in our body that are challenging. Things that we need to confess. Things that we need to give back to God. We live in this day and where we can plan in a way that is almost fixed. So Lord, we would even be as bold as to say thank you for reminding us and humbling us and making us a dependent people. Help us as we go here today to make plans, to plan out our lives with the asterisk, with the punctuation, if the Lord wills. We love you and we thank you for time. We thank you for the plan that was set into motion in ages past that Christ would come and die on a cross for our sins. The sins of boasting and arrogance even about our plans. We thank you for the plan of salvation that Christ brings if we simply repent and believe in him and what he's done on a cross. And we thank you for the fixed hope and the fixed plans that you have for us. The fixed hope of heaven. The fixed hope of the Spirit working in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your love for us that you've shown us through your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.